What up, y'all? It's your boys at HOB back in here for the third episode of the HOB Football Podcast. Today, we're going to continue our spring ball wrap up tour in the Patchville South and discuss the effects of 7 on 7 on modern day football. I'm Clayton Barnes. And I'm Patrick Bannigan. Let's dive right into the Patchville South for the defending champions, the Arizona Wildcats. Rich Rod squad is coming off a signature year after winning the Patchville South. They kind of finished the year off on a lull when they got blown out Borg in the, the Pac-12 championship game and then getting upset in the Fiesta Bowl to Boise. But still, they're building a good program down there. you got a new Solomon coming back for sophomore year as well as the running back Nick Wilson. And you kind of have a, a, a very strong potential in the backfield with that duo. Uh, with the, Since they're such a zone-re-based team with the Rich Rod system, you know, having those two guys is a very important aspect of their of their offense. Yeah, exactly. You know, Rich Rod's gonna he's gonna be having those guys flying around. It's gonna be an up tempo offense. They're gonna gonna really uh, you know push the tempo, stress teams. Uh, you know, with their speed. Uh, again, you said a good year. They went seven two in the in the Pac twelve last year. Uh, returned six starters on offense. Uh, it's gonna be an interesting year to see if they can, you know, still be able to compete with these with these teams that could be at the uh, the, the top of the battle at the top of Pac twelve South. And you look at their O line; they lose their center and both their offense tackles, and so you got you got question marks there. They got to rebuild a little bit on the uh, the key parts of the offensive line, but uh, you know if they can come together as a unit, they'll still be a very effective uh, zone re- running team and running at you downhill and then letting a new Solomon make some things happen on the perimeter. They got Caleb Jones back receiver, the the former Texas Longhorn who who's a big, tall, physical target, and he's a guy that they can rely on to be a big play in the passing game. And when you look back at what Solomon did last last year, he was one of the best quarterbacks uh, making things happen on the run, on the move. And so one of the big keys is how our defense is going to start to contain him because when he was in the pocket, he, wouldn't, he wasn't as effective. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking at the defense, obviously led by Scooby Wright, one of the the biggest defensive playmakers in the country, and he's coming back. He's he's uh, great at forcing turnovers, and he gets in the backfield and for tackles for loss, for sacks, and he's, he's just great, in, great at making plays. And he's a key to their defense who's, who's very much a, a big play defense, both good and bad, because they give up a lot of yardage, especially on the back end of the secondary, but they're really great at forcing turnovers and, and getting getting the backfield. So mm-hmm. you know they're going to be big play predicated for both ways, uh, good and bad. Yeah, you talked about Scooby Rowdy, a guy who uh, you know, a, lot, a lot of people thought should have been, you know, got gotten a lot more prestigious honors at the end of the year. Uh, he's going to be the, the, the anchor of that defense. He's going to really have those, uh, you know, those guys flying around making plays. Uh, an interesting thing they're gonna have to focus on this year is replacing the guys in the back, uh, the secondary. You know they run that three-three-five. They lose three of their key starters back there, who are uh, very productive over the last few years for them. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see if they can get those guys replaced. And and uh, you know I think that'll be the key. We know what Bridgewater's gonna do on offense. I think it's gonna come down to how well the defense can play if they're gonna be contenders in the South. Right. And so you got you got a few key players come back with Solomon, Wilson, Jones, and Wright. And so you know you're gonna have the foundation for what should be a good and competitive team. But the question is, can they repeat as Pac-12 South champions? So when we looked at the schedule, uh, it's not it's not the easiest schedule in the world. Their home games, they do get UCLA, Oregon State, and Utah at home. And so those, those will be good games to have. But when you look at the road schedule, it gets a little tough. they got to go to Stanford, to Washington, to USC, and to Arizona State. And that's that's four really tough road games. And, you know, if you can split those 50-50 and win at home, then you got a chance. But that's a lot to ask in that kind of schedule. So the schedule sets up this year a little bit more difficult than it was last year. So I think they're going to take it's going to take some guys stepping up that they, people aren't really expecting and may take some lucky breaks to be able to repeat his chances. Exactly. Like you said, three of their last four games at the end of the year are, are, uh, are road games. In there. So it's going to be a challenge for them to finish the year uh, you know, against those four teams. You know, I think if they can go 3-1, and one, they're going to be in a good position to, to you know, be in contention there. 
And uh, let's look at their, their cross-state rivals, Arizona State. And uh, Todd Graham, he's entering his fourth year here at the Sun Devils program. And they lose, they lose some key players on offense, and Taylor Kelly and uh, Jalen Strong. But you got guys stepping up in those two positions that could, they think people, a lot of people think can fill those shoes. You got fifth year senior Mike Berkovici, who's coming in with a lot of expectations. A lot of people think he outplayed Taylor Kelly last year when he came and started three games. And so a lot of people feel really confident about that, and there won't be much drop off, and there actually could be some improvement at the quarterback position. And then DJ Foster, who was their leading rusher last year and actually second leading receiver, is moving full time to receiver. And so people want to see if he can, with his playmaking ability, can he replace some of the production Jalen Strong had. But the question mark there is, you know, he's not that big physical threat who's going who's to go and get balls and, and things like that, like Berkovici liked to do with him vertically down the pass game. He's be more of a, a bubble screen guy or getting the ball in space. And so the question is, are they going to have a guy who can step up on the outside uh, with Cameron Smith, who is their third leading receiver, got injured already. He'll miss this year. Who's going to be that guy on the outside that they can be a, a possession receiver or be a more of a physical receiver like Jalen Strong was. Mm-hmm. And not, <clears throat> excuse me. Not only that, you know, on the, on the offensive line, they have to replace both their right tackle and their left tackle. So uh, it's going to be a you know an interesting uh, off season for uh, Coach Novell over there and, and getting the guys uh, you know pr- you know brought up to speed with uh, with what they're going to have to do and, and getting the young guys in there to to you know replace the production that they're losing. Yeah. So you really got to uh, wonder how much pressure is Perkins trying to deal with because you know your your primary. Uh, Safety safety valves for your quarterback is going to be you know a, a check down guy like DJ Foster. Now we're moving a receiver. You know how are these new running backs going to come in and place a production in the passing game, and then also a receiver. You know Gary Chambers is probably going to be the guy to rely on along with UCLA transfer Devin Lucian, and neither one have really done a whole lot in their careers. And are they going to step up at the uh, the end of their at the end of their careers and be productive players? And then plus, like you said, with the Losing the offense tackles, how much pressure is Berkovich have to deal with? So while there's some there's some great expectations for Berkovich and what he can do, you know he's got some question marks around him that you know they got to get answered for him to be as successful as people expect him to be. And you know one thing I'm looking forward to with this Arizona State team is is to see how much his defense you know can take and you know improve and take the next step. They return seven guys. They only lose they only lose uh, you know their their star safety Demarius Randall uh, and uh, you know another guy who was very productive for them uh, Marcus Hardison. Um, other than that, they they return everybody, and you know Todd Graham and his and his you know he's known for his defensive scheme, his defensive background. He's gonna he's gonna have a, a good a good solid unit to work with there, and um, you know it's gonna it's gonna be a interesting year. They get the the first big game of the year against Texas A&M in Houston. Um, you know, I, I think that'll be you know a game that could set the tone for the rest of the year for them. And, and more about the defense, you know that Graham's be ultra aggressive. He's got lots of exotic blitz packages, like so lots of cover zero blitzes and. So, hey, we're going to get to you faster than uh, you're going to be able to get the ball off. And so that, that can be good and bad. They're great at getting the backfield and creating tackles for losses and, and things like that. But, you know, they also give up a lot of big plays, kind of like we're talking with Arizona, but this is probably even more so than Arizona State because you find a team that can pick up the blitzes and they can hurt you on the back end. And when you look at a secondary that loses a first-round draft pick in, in Randall and you lose your best pass rusher in Hardison, are, are you going to be able to make up uh, – Guys, because the guys that have that kind of impact, and you have guys that can step up and, and be be those star players that can be difference makers, or is it going to be more of a a team based unit? And then when you face a team with more talent, how's that going to how's that going to balance out? Because mm-hmm. you might get outmatched talent wise, and then you know all the rest schemes can come back and hurt you. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was a really young defense last year, and so like you said, a lot of those guys are coming back, and you know are they going to be guys? Are they going to be guys that step up and become veteran leaders and 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 help that defense improve as a unit, or is it going to be 
lack a lack of impact players are really going to mm-hmm. hurt them. Yeah, and you know, looking at their schedule, I think their schedule sets up pretty well for them. I mean, they get USC at home early in the year. Uh, they got to go to UCLA. You know, it could be a tough game on the road there, but they get Oregon at home. They get Washington at home, and they get Arizona at home. Three, you know, three very tough games. And you know, in my opinion, um, so. Schedule sets up in their favors. You know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they can. Uh, you know, like like we said, the first game that you're going to say in big non-conference game, um, and then you know, getting in the Pac-12, they're going to have to hit the ground running with their first big game against USC. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only, the only two real I think significant conference games on the road are UCLA and Utah, and so it was, the schedule sets up really nicely. There's just the amount of of the the better Pac-12 South teams they they play that that are at home compared to away. And so, you know, obviously the A&M, the A&M games be a big matchup, kind of set the tone. But, you know, win or lose there, it's still not going to really have a big effect on what they do uh, when it comes to winning the Pac-12 South, which is, you know, probably one of the, the main goals of the team. And just based on the way it sets up with so many good, so many good teams they get at home, it could be a special year for Todd mm-hmm. Graham. Mm-hmm. Now let's move on to, to Colorado and Mike McIntyre, who was uh, coming in the year on, the, on a hot seat after going well in the conference last year. But when you look at how they how they played last year, they had a lot of close games, including two overtime losses in conference and, and a couple other ones that were pretty close games. Uh, you look at, you look at the impact players. Their their number one player, uh, without a doubt, is Nelson Spruce, the receiver, who's who's a pretty pretty good prospect, and he's had to kind of lead the offense. Mm-hmm. And you kind of you kind of wonder how they're going to do an offense because last year, quarterback wise, they they struggled with interceptions. And uh, they're going to need improved play there if they're going to be able to survive in this very loaded division. Mm-hmm. And so when you really look at how they're how they're on offense, uh, you got you got to have guys step up because Nelson Spruce can't just carry the load. Exactly, you know, it's, you know, Colorado. I mean, it's, it's it's a tough situation for them. You know, especially in the region they're in, a lot of the big talent wants to go to the big schools. You know, in California or or there along the West Coast. So it's you know it's, it just. In order for a coach to be successful, he's going to have to really be able to develop talent. And, and you know, it's, it's something that Mike McIntyre's trying to do. Again, you said he went 0-9 last year. Not a whole lot of production there at all. <laughs> no, yeah. n- none. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, it's you never know what's, what's going to happen with the, with the offense and, and how they're going to get things, you know, replaced over there. And, um, you know, it's still, they, you know, these, this team is a team facing an uphill battle if they want to be even competitive, you know, in this league. So there's, I think they're still a long way out. Yeah, defensively, you look they're they're led they're led by a a lot of young guys, mainly Josh Tupo, the the D lineman for them. And uh, last year they really struggled against the run. They weren't they weren't that bad against the pass, but they they really they struggled stopping the run, and that can be key in in winning games down the stretch. Why you probably see so many close losses mm-hmm. is if they couldn't stop the run at the end of the game, you know they couldn't close it out very well. Yeah, and and one interesting note, you know, you're talking about the defense. Almost last in the entire nation in in uh, in for, uh, you know turnovers forced you know it's, they had you know they need to have an aggressive defense and, and you know be able to force more turnovers if they're gonna have a chance in a lot of these games against you know these high powered offenses. Yeah, so you should expect some improvement with so many returning young guys that you, you would think that the guys are gonna develop and continue to get better under the under the the coaching staff. But uh, when you look at, when you look at the schedule, it's it's not it's not easy, and so it's gonna, it's gonna be hard to. To make improvements, but you know, if they can kind of close out some of those close losses from last year, it's going to help them a lot in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Home games wise, they get they get the the big rivalry with Colorado State, and uh, they get Oregon, Arizona, Stanford, and USC, and so you know maybe they can pull off a home a home upset loss with one of those teams to get some some recognitions, get a signature win. And uh, away game wise, they get to go to Arizona State, to Oregon State, UCLA, uh, Washington State, and Utah. And so those are all going to be tough matchups. It's not not a, not an easy schedule for them, but mm-hmm. you know if you can see them kind of pull one of those one or two games that maybe 
they, they people think they should or that they almost mm-hmm. won last year, that could be a, a good step of uh, improvement for the program and, and help McIntyre keep trying to build the program up. Exactly. How about circling that Friday the 13th day against USC in, uh, in, late no- or in early November, uh, the last home game of the year for them? You know, that, that could be a game that you circle is, you know, maybe if they can pull off the big upset there that, you know, give the, the fan base there a little bit of excitement, you know, for the next season, you know, in the last home game there on senior night. So uh, you never know. We'll see. Like you said, it's going to be a tough year for them. But, uh, you know, any given Saturday, you never know what can happen. And, and maybe on that, that Friday the 13th against Trojans, they can make something happen. Yeah, I think crazy things happen on Friday the, exactly. Friday the 13th. So you never know what could happen. Uh, let's look at UCLA. They're entering year four under Jim Mora. Uh, just lost Brett Hunley to the NFL. And uh, that kind of leaves a quarterback battle to happen. And over the spring, you had – Josh Rosen and Jerry Neuheisel and a couple other quarterbacks kind of going at it. But most people think it's probably going to be Josh Rosen, the, the freshman phenom, the, the, uh, the, big, the big pro-style quarterback that everyone drools over, mm-hmm. that uh, consensus number one pro-style quarterback uh, at a, a high school last year. Uh, Paul Perkins, the running back, he quietly led the Pac-12 in rushing. No one really talked about him. There was no hype around him at all, but you know he, he led the Pac-12 in rushing last year, and he's coming back. And so if you can lean on him and help – you know, if it's Josh Rosen, help him kind of grow as a quarterback by leaning on that run game, you know, that could help him a lot. Especially with the O-line that turned all five starters that, let's be honest, they were, they were pretty bad at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and uh, they kind of got Hunley some troubles. But uh, at the end of the year, they, they started to gel to go as a unit. You know, the young guys started to get better. And then so with all those guys coming back, you know they're at least going to be better than they were. Mm-hmm. And so if they can just get some solid play out of those guys and lean on Perkins, and then if Rosen can come in and, and be – uh, at least somewhat of the, 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 the guy that people think he's going to be, that mm-hmm. could be a pretty good offense. Exactly. You know, like you said, if, if they do end up going with Rosen, the young guy, you know, big thing, you got to have guys that are going to surround him and make him better. Um, you know, having, it's, it's never a good idea to have, you know, your, your true freshman quarterback step in and having him be the guy of the offense. You know, surround him with talent. Uh, you know, have a good old, you know, have a, a manageable O-line he can work with and, and guys that he can get the ball to, you know, on the outside and really help him out. Um, it's going to be a good year, and I, I think uh, you know this UCLA team is is shown that they've that they've uh, exceeded expectations from a lot of people in the last few years. You know, maybe not last year they started, you know, ranked pretty high, and you know they were kind of stumbled throughout the year. But uh, you know, this is a team that's always going to be competitive, and and you know, when you see UCLA on the schedule, you know it's never it's never a game you're just going to be able to blow off as long as you know Jim Moore and the guys are are over there doing the good things. And uh, they bring in Tom Bradley, the longtime Penn State uh, defense defensive assistant, as the new DC. And I'm pretty sure he's a 4-3 guy, and so it'll be interesting to see if uh, they're transitioning full-time to a 4-3 this year, just incorporate some more if they're going to uh, stick with more of the 3-4 stuff they have been doing. But, you know, one thing they are going to have on defense is Miles Jack coming back for his, his junior year, and he, he's the star of the defense. You know, everyone knows what he did as a freshman when uh, Pac-12 offense and defensive newcomer of the year, which is which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Paul Perkins emerging, he's kind of been more settling into his, his defensive role and uh, being the big-time prospect on that side. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, they kind of struggled to get off the field at times, uh, and that was, that was kind of the issue in some of the, some of the big games that they, they couldn't get off the field, and it, just, it, it snowballed, had a snowball effect and, and hurt the team down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, talk about Tom Bradley coming in. He's got a good core guys to work with. You know, talk about, talk about Miles Jack being the, the, you know, the star of the defense over there. A uh, good young core of defensive players. Uh, you know, he's, he's got a good young, uh, young group to work with and, and a group that I think can – can really keep them, uh, you know, as one of the top big uh, top teams in the Pac uh, Pac twelve South this year. And uh, the biggest thing they used to the program is like it seems like the past couple of years they get a lot of hype and then they'll and they'll and they'll, they'll perform well, but they just they're always 
just they can't get over the hump. They can't mm-hmm. become one of those elite teams. They seem like they'll be a really good team, but they always kind of lose games you don't really expect them, expect them to. Mm-hmm. Or they just don't perform in the big games against Oregon or something like that that you expect them to show up and and uh, play like play like an elite team. Yeah. And so the big, is this year going to be the year they get over the hump? You know, that's a lot of the big question question marks around Jim Moore. You know, he's got a good program. They're going to be a really good team, but can they reach that great status? Can they? Can they? become a team that gets in the playoff conversation. That's some of the big question marks around the program this year. Yeah, and looking at their schedule, you know, they, they get uh, Virginia in the non-conference schedule. They get BYU in the non-conference schedule. Open up the Pac-12 with Arizona. Um, and then after that, you know, they get Arizona State. Really, after those two games, if they can get past those two games and if they can go 2-0 those two games, the schedule sets up very well for them. They get Stanford. You know, they got to go on the road to Stanford, which would be a tough game. Uh, but, you know, they get Cal at home. They get Cal- Colorado, Oregon State. And uh, uh, Washington State, so those are four very winnable games. Getting a little streak going there. Got to finish out the year with Utah and USC at home. Uh, sorry, I mean Utah on the road, USC at home. So again, I think it's a team that if they get a streak going there in the middle of the year, it'll, it'll really help them build some momentum toward the end of the year going to that big uh, big game in late November against USC. And speaking of USC, they're entering year two under Steve Sarkeesian, and uh, a lot a lot of hype going in this year. So, uh, the hype train's kind of getting. Getting rolling again. A lot of people mm-hmm. thinking they could be the favorite in the South, and mm-hmm. and uh, if, if you made me pick now, I'd probably go with USC because they got a lot of young talent that are coming in for the second year or sometimes the third year, and they're starting to rebuild their depth after having you know, the scholarship penalties from the whole Reggie Bush deal, yeah. and so they're starting to kind of build that depth that they didn't have before. And plus, they're going to be led on offense by their senior Cody Kessler, who's a very good uh, pro style quarterback, very productive. And a lot of people expect a lot of big things about him. Maybe can, if the uh, USC is a good year, maybe you can make a Heisman run. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look at his weapons that he uh, returned this year, they lose Nelson Aguilar and Buck Allen on offense. And so you got to have the edge plays that. But USC has got plenty of talent. That really shouldn't be an issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a lot of young talents going to come in and fill in those gaps. Offensive line-wise, they're improving. Uh, they, they weren't a great unit last year, but they were solid, and, and they're going to continue to get better this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, talk about the defense. Really uh, you know, impressive unit there, the first year, Justin Wilcox. Um, you know, they lose three guys up front, Leonard Williams, uh, Hayes Puller, and Jared uh, Tavai. Uh, I like this USC team quite a bit. You know, some people have, have, you know, thrown their name in there as maybe a team that could, you know, be a dark horse for uh, for one of the four championship spots in the end of the year. I'm not sure I'm going to buy into that yet. Uh, just looking at their schedule, they got a lot of tough games. But, uh, you know, again, they're going to be led by Cody Kessler, who is one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, could be a very high draft pick uh, in next year's draft. Um, and, and, you know, we know what Steve Sarkeesian has done with his quarterbacks in the past. It's going to be a very high-powered offense. Broke all kinds of you know records and passing records last year, so uh, it's it's going to be fun to watch this team. And and, and like I said, I, I think that they are the favorite in the in the Pac-12 South, and uh, you know maybe the the favorite in the Pac-12 overall. Yeah, I think definitely defensively is probably where the most question marks lay. Uh, last year they had a really young secondary who gave up some some yards in the past game, but mm-hmm. they got they got talent. They got a uh, the uh, Zuwal Cravens who's coming back mm-hmm. at outside linebacker, who's a former safety who kind of spun down and. He's been a very productive player there, so you know he's gonna help you out in space. Me, you know, the guy who can who can cover and come up and, and play the run uh, up front. They gotta replace Leonard Williams' production, some other guys on the D line. But when you bring in a freshman like Rasheem Green, they can they can come in and they can they can replace some of that production. They won't be they won't have the veteran experience, but they got the talent. And they got young guys in the wing, and maybe maybe people don't know about yet. You know, people don't know about Leonard Williams as a freshman, mm-hmm. really. So you got you got plenty of guys that can come in and play. It's just you know it's, you gotta see on the field, you gotta see it happen. But mm-hmm. they definitely have the talent to make it. To, to make it work, but like you said, definitely a tough schedule. You know, they got uh, away games at Arizona State, Notre Dame, and Oregon. All three of those are really tough games. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you if you can go three and zero or even two and one of those, that's that's impressive. 
and that doesn't include the home slate. You got Stanford at home, and that's one Stanford probably should have won. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know that's gonna be another tough game this year. Uh, you got Washington, Utah, Arizona, UCLA, and there's definitely a lot of a lot of really good teams that they're gonna be playing. There's no real, not a whole lot of breaks in the schedule, so they gotta <laughs> they gotta come ready to be consistent. And you know that's one of the big questions with young teams is can they be consistent week in and week out? So. Mm-hmm. You know, if if everything goes great, they could be a team that makes a playoff conversation. But right now, you got a lot of question marks to be holding them exactly. back. Exactly, and, and you know, never easy to close out the year. Three of your final four games against Arizona at Oregon, and then home against UCLA. It's gonna be a very tough four weeks. You know, they get they get a break, somewhat of a break against Colorado. But like we said, that could be a trap game on Friday the thirteenth. So, uh, really, the last four weeks, I think, is gonna tell the you know the story of how this team's gonna you know finish it in the final rankings of the year. All right, now let's sit on last but not least. The Utah Utes over in uh, Salt Lake City, and uh, they're going to be led on offense by Devontae Booker and a very ground-based attack. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to come at you with a physical run game coming downhill, and uh, that, that's where they make their money on offense. They're going to need some improved quarterback play, whether it's from Wilson or Thompson this year. Uh, that's that's kind of what held them back against some of the elite teams this year. And they're going to be losing Killing Clay's explosive plays. You know, but I'm guessing they'll be losing his dumb plays, like dropping the ball at the one-yard line. <laughs> but people always remember that. But he was a really good explosive player for them and had a lot of production. And uh, so you got you got to wonder who's going to step up and be a playmaker there. Cause not they're not going to be a team that's loaded with talent. And uh, so when you lose a playmaker like that, you got question marks about who's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, solid on the offensive line, uh, but they're losing the left tackle, so they got you got to have a guy step up there. But I think offensive line wise, they're going to be a solid unit. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we got to figure out what you have at the quarterback position. Uh, you know, the quarterback Travis Wilson dealt with injuries a lot of you know last year and. Uh, you know he he would be the the guy that you would think would be the the starter, but again you know you never know with with how he's gonna with how he's gonna come back from his injury. Um, and then again you gotta have you know some threats on the outside. You know this is a ground based attack, but you know you gotta be able, you can't be one dimensional in this in this league. And gotta be able to pass outside your your playmakers. So uh, you know, it's gonna be an interesting year to see how they uh, replace a lot of the a lot of coaches. You know they lost uh, uh, their offense coordinator, their defense coordinator, and their linebackers coach. So they're gonna have to uh, replace not only. Things on their on the roster on the team, but also uh, you know the coach staff. Yeah, it seems like yearly they've been having some staff turnover mm-hmm. every year. I think I don't know how many years it is in a row, but it's it's a number. They're losing the their OC mm-hmm. or another position coach every year. So you know they they're used to having staff turnover, but you know that's still something you got to deal with. Mm-hmm. Not bad having lost staff turnover, still going nine and four. Yeah, that that's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're definitely getting adjusted to the Pac-12 mm-hmm. a lot better than they they started off on. Um, pressure, they're a pressure based defense. They lose their top two sackers, but they turn a lot of other guys that were. That were productive and uh, they were good against the run last year, but they kind of struggled against spread option teams, and so you're not you're not gonna have a break with that. Cause you still got Oregon, you still got Arizona, Arizona on the schedule, and so you're still gonna have to have to learn to deal with that. But uh, they should be uh, an improving unit on that side uh, with some of the guys that they they return and cause they keep getting better and better every year. That they're in the Pac-12. Yeah. Uh, you look at their schedule; they got out of conference games with Michigan and Fresno State. Yeah, how about that non-conference game. Yeah, that's that, yeah, they definitely loaded up. They're they're not afraid to play anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Home games: Michigan, Arizona State, Oregon State, and UCLA. And then uh, away games: you got Fresno, Oregon, USC, Washington, Arizona. So a lot of a lot of, a lot of interesting games. and tough road games. So it'll be interesting to see how they they play play out the schedule the way it is, and if they can come up with another good year, or if they're gonna kind of regress back to where they were. It's definitely an interesting year to watch Utah. Finishing up, Clayton, uh, who's gonna be your pick out of the Pac-12 South here this year? Well, uh, I kind of let I kind of hinted at it earlier. Uh, if you made me pick today, I'm, I'm going to have to go with uh, the Fighting Sarkeesians and go with USC. Mm-hmm. I would say the same thing. Uh, I definitely think USC is going to be the team to watch with, uh, you know, but you never know with teams like UCLA or, or even, you know, like we saw last year, there's Arizona team that nobody really expected. 
Um, a lot of a lot of really good offenses in, in you know teams like USC, Arizona State, and uh, Arizona with you know big high powered offenses are going to be a, a team that you know holds up the reputation of the Pac-12 having these these really uh, you know high octane offenses. Yeah, well, with the exception of Colorado, no, no offense to the Buffaloes, mm-hmm. is de- uh, definitely a lot of uh, great teams in the Pac-12 South and. I think they're they're right there behind the SEC West when it comes to the top divisions in college football, Definitely. and uh, you know you'll get to see a preview of the of the two divisions playing against each other in, in an Energy Stadium between exactly. Arizona State and A and M. That's that's gonna give a lot of a room to kind of kick off to you, yeah. yeah, and get a little trash talk between the two divisions, saying, "Hey, yeah. you know, our, <laughs> our our team be yours." So, hey, maybe our division's better. We'll it's definitely interesting to we'll say see. the least. Moving on to our second discussion topic of the day. We're going to look at the effects of 7-on-7 seven seven on today's world of football. And uh, I think one of the, the biggest things that you see nowadays is uh, when you look at the draft and you see how many receivers are mm-hmm. that, are, that are out getting drafted high and, and the, just the volume of receivers that get drafted, I think you can attest a lot of that 7-on-7 seven because seven, mm-hmm. you see all these guys in high school, they're, they're getting all these extra reps, you know, running routes against coverages and, and, uh, and improving in that aspect. And and you see it translates because they play in so many spread offenses uh, in high school, and then that translates to college level. You're seeing a, a growing number of spread offenses at that level, mm-hmm. and so you're just producing more of those kind of players at a at a high level these days. Yeah, and I was gonna say, you know, I think you look at all these high powered offenses you're seeing, you know, in college football today, and and even you know it's getting into the pros where you know teams are putting up you know big numbers on offense. You know, I really think it gets down to to the summer workouts and 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 seven on seven and, and being able to. Condition your guys and, and you know keep your guys crisp on on running their routes and 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 you know running their their coverages and their drops and and you know really being on the same page with one another with, with communication. You know I think it really goes far, um, not only for offense but for defense too. You know from the defense side, you know these guys get the experience over the off season of seeing these routes, seeing the routes they're going to see during the season, and really being able to 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 master their coverages and, and master how they're going to adjust to certain top, you know certain motions or certain you know schemes. And uh, with such emphasis on safety nowadays, you see a lot, lot more time getting limited away from, from contact and, and time playing mm-hmm. in pads. And so 7-on-7 seven seven is something that, that people can do that kind of is, is a non-contact way to, to practice football. Mm-hmm. So that you get all that extra time to do that. And a lot of times it's, it's without coaches and it's more voluntary stuff that mm-hmm. way that players can conduct practices and still get more and more reps. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why it's become a, a huge emphasis in while you see uh, so many quarterbacks these days, it's another deal. Is so many guys out of high school who, who are ready to play at a, at an early age in a, in college, and some even expect to. Like a lot of them have a lot of confidence because they're very productive in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I think just having all having all these guys who are ready to come right away, uh, that that's why you see so many young guys getting in really early in the college game, and and why you see so many uh, so many guys are so productive mm-hmm. at, at a young age. Um, looking at some some of the, uh, the I guess you could say downside of it. Is you know a lot, a lot of the things we've been seeing lately in the past few years is the lack of just fundamental tackling mm-hmm, exactly. uh, at all levels. And do you, do you think that has something to do with the amount of seven on seven that gets practiced as compared to full contact? I mean, some. I think it really depends. You know, staff to staff, how much you know they allow contact. You know, during the season in practice, how much you know how much contact they're doing with all that. Um, I'm not sure it really takes away from their ability to tackle as much. Um, I think it's just something that you know the players. They need to realize that that's still a major part of their game. You can't just focus on just you know backpedaling, getting to your spot, getting to your coverage. You know, noon who you have to have. It's about finishing the play. So I, you know, I think you know it is better. Seven on seven is better when you have a wrap up type of type of game. Um, I really don't see a whole lot of use out of 
you know, throwing the ball around and going to tag them on the hip. Other than taking your, your right angles, that's really all you're accomplishing and, and, you know, learning to fly to the ball. But, you know, learning to wrap up, learning to take the right angles and, and you know, do everything right except for actually bring them down, you know, I think it's something that a lot of teams really need to start focusing on. And, and you know, I think we'll go a long way in, in kind of seeing the balance shift from 7-on-7 seven seven as an offensive game to a more defensive game. You know, it allows the defense to be a little more aggressive. And uh, one thing I wanted to get your thoughts on was uh, you kind of touched on it earlier when talking about recognizing routes. And uh, with kind of this this kind of popular coverage that's kind of happening with these zone man match coverage, mm-hmm. you see Gary Patterson do them a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see Nardog do them with, mm-hmm. his, with his press quarter scheme. A lot of this is all predicated on what the, the route combo is. Yeah. And uh, do you think, you know, getting set on seven time where you're seeing all these routes over and over again, reps doing that, you think it's a big difference in the way secondary is played now? Oh, it, oh, it's huge because, you know, like I said, the, the more you see these routes and the more you, you see what they're going to do and what your responsibility is going through those reps more and more over the offseason, you know, it just, it just at, at times it becomes second nature. You know, you, you'll know if, if you get a three-by-one coverage, okay, you're going to line up to this. If you get two-by-one, you're going to line up to this. You know, if, and, if, and out of those coverages, okay, these are the popular routes you're going to like to see out of, you know, like they like to run stick, they like to run smash, what your responsibilities and all that. If you can work on that from the time the season ends to up till, you know, really August, do the entire offseason, that's whatever, eight, nine months of seeing the same thing over and over and, and really, uh, you know, keeping your mind fresh of what your responsibilities are. So I, I think I think it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge help to a lot of teams and, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people, especially in the high school level, a lot of teams see the seven-on-seven seven thing as, as a, you know, real offensive focus. Teams, you know, teams are scoring in the 40s and 50s and all that. But, but I look at it from the defensive side. It's, it's an opportunity for the defensive guys to see these spread offenses at work and really be able to train themselves and keep their, themselves fresh over the offseason to, to be able to, you know, when they get into the, the fall and get in the offseason, they're going to know what to do already. And we talk about how much seven-on-seven seven helps spread offenses, but I think one thing that gets overlooked a lot is, with this this new answer to the offenses, these man match mm-hmm. zone schemes is you know you get that same kind of work and so it kind of yeah. counteracts what a lot of people think is is just the offensive mm-hmm. deal, and uh, I think uh, I think seven on seven it helps create more versatile guys on offense because mm-hmm. I mean heck we'll see teams that are wing T teams during the fall going out and doing seven on seven they're gonna doing stuff they'll never do the entire oh. year, and it's really interesting that you know for those guys it makes for if you're a college prospect mm-hmm. it gets you some more versatility and probably more modern-day offense. But it's just funny sometimes seeing teams that don't even run any kind of spread offense. They're, they're exactly. more a triple option or a, or a slot T or something like that. Mm-hmm. They're running these kind of uh, seven-on-seven offense. It's kind of funny to see that. Yeah, happen. and I was going to say, you know, you're talking about the disadvantages of it. I, I think that could be seen as a big disadvantage. I mean, what what good is it going to do you if, if you're a – you know, a 12-personnel type of team, you know, or a team that likes to use a lot of tight ends or multiple backs, full backs, all that, what good is it going to do when you line up in four or five receivers and everybody just goes and runs around until they can find open space? I mean, that I don't see that as very, very, you know, efficient, very productive work other than you're keeping your guys in shape and they're learning how to, you know, see what the defense is looking at. I mean, so I think that's one thing that I've always thought about how they're going to, how they're going to balance receivers and quarterbacks and running backs and defensive backs Getting all the work in the off season, and then you got guys, you know, the linemen and and these teams that run the, you know, the, the run heavy offenses. You know, what are they going to be able to do in the off season? Get other than lift and you know go through their normal workouts. And on the other There's hand, no and uh, and on the other hand, we're talking about how it helps the defense. You know, for those teams, they they never get to see that kind of offense mm-hmm. and practice during during spring or exactly. going to practice every week. So it's great for for their defense to get those mm-hmm. kind of reps. And I think that might be the motivation behind some of it. Because uh, you're never going to see those guys uh, out there getting those kind of reps against those kind of offenses yeah. throughout the year. So a lot of their their experience and going against that is going to be in seven on seven. So I think it's really been a, a, mm-hmm. a benefactor to those teams defensively wise. Yeah.
Well, that's all we have for today. Be sure to be on the lookout for our special feature in the next few days where Patrick and I will be conducting a fancy draft of Texas high school recruits and building our dream team of starters from the best players in the Lone Star State's class of 2016. Till next time, I'm Clayton Barnes. And I'm Patrick Bannigan. This is the HOB Football Podcast, signing off. So gone, so gone, bring out the glass tables.